As they stood on the edge of the cliff, a loud sound of branches breaking and rocks tumbling reverberated off the canyon walls. And then, silence. Was Matthew Wyrick pulling a prank? Or had he really just fallen off this 230-foot cliff? This is The Miracle Files. I'm Emily Jones. And I'm Holly Worthington. We're two sisters who love a captivating true story, but we're also seeking more light in our lives. So we're on a mission to find and share unforgettable, uplifting stories of God's miracles. We hope you'll join us on this journey. Welcome to The Miracle Files. We are so excited to share our first ever podcast with you guys. Today we have an amazing story to tell you. This is something that happened back in 2004, and we still remember it, and it was crazy. Before we jump into the story, quick introduction of us. We are two sisters. We are in different stages of life. I'm a young mom. Holly, you're a new grandma. Nana. But (laughs) (laughs) I have been a wedding videographer, and I have done a lot of editing of videos and audio over the years. And you are a writer. Yeah, I've been a newspaper reporter. I've written for magazines, doing all sorts of writing projects. And we are best friends and we love to talk to each other all the time. And one thing that we've bonded over in the past is listening to murder mystery podcasts. We bond over murder mystery podcasts and Diet Coke. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. (laughs) So I remember calling you, though, a while back and asking you if you'd heard the latest murder mystery podcast. And you told me no, because you actually had stopped listening to them. I know. I was just feeling so dark and they were making me feel kind of down and kind of scared to sleep at night when my husband was out of town. And I just started feeling like maybe they weren't the best thing for me, even though I found them very interesting and fun to listen to. Yeah. And I had the same feeling like they weren't uplifting. They weren't making me feel good. So we wanted to find a new podcast that was just as interesting and intriguing as a murder mystery podcast, but that wouldn't leave us feeling so dreary. So we started talking about, you know, what kind of podcasts we would actually love to listen to ourselves. And we decided, why don't we create it? We both have some unique talents and abilities that come together. And we thought, let's make this happen and just create what we would want to listen to. And one point that we want to make is that even though these incredible stories may be hard to believe, they're all completely true. But we're going to follow maybe a slightly different podcast format than what you're used to, because rather than just playing their entire interview through, we're going to tell you their story and include sound bites from their interviews. And this is our effort to keep the stories as engaging and fast paced as possible. Oh, and one final thought. This podcast is for everyone. Yeah, no one has a monopoly on miracles. God loves all of his children, and we are looking for miracle stories from anybody. So we have got a story today for you that you are going to be on the edge of your seat. It's one that for both of us is just completely unforgettable. The day of June 23rd, 2004, started with a simple plan to go find kangaroos in the Australian bush. The four missionaries for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints drove toward an isolated area near Bundanoon, 
a small town whose aboriginal name means the place of deep gullies. These young men had no idea how dangerous those deep gullies could be. As they drove, they saw a sign that read, Grand Canyon Lookout. After a short discussion, the missionaries decided the kangaroos could wait. The lookout sounded even more exciting. Here's Chris Peterson, one of the missionaries there that day. By like happenstance, we weren't even going to this place. We just see a sign that said Grand Canyon Lookout. So then we're like, let's go see what the Australian Grand Canyon looks like. The missionaries parked and found a trail overlooking a vast canyon filled with sheer rock cliffs amongst lush eucalyptus trees. Missionaries for this particular church are called by the title of elder. So at the time, 21-year-old Matthew Wyrick was known to his companions as Elder Wyrick. As zone leader, Elder Wyrick had charge over the group. He was accompanied by his companion, Elder Peterson, as well as Elder Mortensen and Elder Kornberg. As they walked along a trail overlooking the canyon, they would stop and throw boulders over the edge. They would then listen for the crash and echo of the boulder finally smashing at the floor of the over 200-foot deep canyon. Where we were at, there's like a cliff face, right? And um, we were throwing these big boulders off the side just to see like the sound they would make or just see how long they would take to hit the ground. And when they would hit, we would hear them echo and they would go through the whole canyon and uh, you'd hear the trees break, you know, it's like they were falling through. Elder Wyrick spotted a ledge below that looked easy enough to get to. As a national champion All-American pole vaulter, Elder Wyrick was pretty certain he was invincible. His athletic success had given him confidence in his ability to scale the walls of this canyon with ease. Elder Mortensen followed Elder Wyrick down to the ledge where they investigated a carved-out cave-like area. I remember when him and Elder Mortensen were like climbing down there another car had pulled up and they said, I hope we don't see you guys on the news later. And um, Elder Mortensen was climbing around down there and his foot got caught in one of like the cracks of the wall. You know, he couldn't get his foot out. So he had to take his foot out of his shoe. When he did that, his shoe then came loose from the rock and rolls off and falls down off the cliff. Now, this wasn't just any shoe. This was an Air Jordan. And not only did Elder Mortensen love these shoes, but he'd let Elder Wyrick borrow them on occasion. Elder Wyrick loved these shoes perhaps even more than Elder Mortensen did. Without a moment's hesitation, Elder Wyrick began climbing further down and around to a lower ledge of the cliff, assuring Elder Mortensen that he would get his shoe back. I do remember some pushback from all of us, even including Elder Mortensen, because he was like, don't worry about it, that's like a long ways, it's fine. But he's like, no, no, I got it. Did we mention Elder Wyrick thought he was invincible? Fear wasn't even in his vocabulary. As he climbed down to another ledge, he called to the other missionaries, and they would call back to him periodically to help guide him to where the shoe might be. But then, Elder Wyrick spotted something he couldn't resist. A large tree shot out over the canyon and elbowed vertically into the sky. He decided it wasn't only a great place to get a view of the shoe— but also a perfect spot for a photo op. Elder Wyrick wrapped his arms and legs around the huge tree trunk and made his way to the top of the tree. He leaned out and yelled to the other missionaries, asking them to take his picture. 
They couldn't see the full tree, but they could see the top of it, where Elder Wyrick leaned out. Elder Wyrick took in the majestic cliffs and greenery below him. He could see the whole canyon and beyond stretched out before him. It was breathtaking. And then Elder Wyrick started the descent down the tree. Only, it wasn't nearly as easy going down as it had been going up. The trunk was so large, and the bark so smooth, it was impossible to get a good grip anywhere. For the first time, Elder Wyrick felt a gut punch of fear in his stomach, as he realized how slippery and steep it was. The missionary stood above, waiting, hoping to see their friend appear back on the trail any moment. But instead, they heard the sound of gravel falling, followed by the loud crack of tree branches breaking, and an echo of what they thought was a boulder crashing to the canyon floor. Elder Wyrick was such a jokester. They knew he had to be playing a joke. They called his name. They waited. Silence. They called out again. Nothing. They were sure this had to be a joke. But as the minutes ticked on, a feeling of dread washed over them. There was no one around anymore, and they had no phone to call for help. The only thing left to do was pray. Now we're starting to get very concerned. We're, we're yelling off the cliff face for him, just seeing if we can get any type of response and, and we're not getting one. And then the three of us get down and pray. And, and then we come back up the hill and a car had just pulled up. A couple exited the vehicle and the missionaries asked if they had a mobile phone. Gratefully, they did. And the missionaries were able to make two calls, one to the police, and another to their mission president before they lost cell coverage completely. When the police arrived, they were perplexed at how the missionaries could have called them because there was no cell reception in the area. Immediately, they went to work searching for Elder Wyrick. It got like very hectic, very fast. Search and rescue and detectives, people with repelling gear. We're watching these people with like repelling gear going down the side of this cliff face. And um, we're like very much in shock. It just didn't feel real. The three missionaries felt disoriented and shocked. But as night fell and search and rescue called off the search due to safety concerns, the heaviness of reality set in. The ride back to the mission home was a somber one. It hadn't been a boulder falling. Their friend lay 230 feet down, or approximately 21 stories, at the bottom of a cliff. And no one was going to find him tonight. It was June, and June is winter in Australia. Even if their friend had somehow impossibly survived, the temperatures had been below freezing every night that week. There was no way Elder Wyrick could survive a freezing night. Back at the mission home, the mission president knelt with the missionaries. And so he says the prayer and he says, um, we know everything is your will, but if you can, please give us a miracle. Um, I remember him asking for a miracle in that prayer.
No one slept that night. I remember laying there in the bottom bunk, staring up at the wood planks above me of the bunk bed and pleading with God for hours, like, I will do anything to not have him be, you know, to have him be okay. Like, bargaining with anything I had at that point, right? That's what I remember. And um, we were all in the same room. And I know we weren't sleeping. I know none of us were sleeping. We, all, we also weren't talking to each other. You know, it was like we were all just kind of like laying there still in shock. The next morning at sunrise, the missionaries returned with their mission president to the site of the fall. They showed search and rescue again exactly where Elder Wyrick had fallen. But this wasn't a rescue mission anymore. It was a body retrieval mission. We all, I think, kind of lost faith at that point that he was okay. You know, we had gone overnight, staying up all night, we're exhausted. Like, there's no way that he's okay after falling that far. We saw the cliff. I mean, it was massive. The missionaries solemnly drove back with their mission president to the mission home. Across the world, in Texas, Elder Wyrick's parents were heading out on a vacation where they'd be without cell coverage for a week. Only, they missed their flight. That morning, they both slept through their alarms. As they worked to rearrange their plans, they received a call informing them that their son had fallen off a 230-foot cliff. They immediately booked the soonest flight they could to Australia. Meanwhile, rescuers had descended down the steep cliffs and scoured the dense forest floor of the Australian Grand Canyon, searching for a body. As they made their way along a smaller cliff's edge, they noticed some torn clothing in a tree, followed by a trail of blood. At the mission home in Australia, the missionary sat tensely waiting for hours for the call from the police telling them when Elder Wyrick's body had been found. We then sit for what seems like hours of agony with just no news. I mean, we're just sitting there with like, the you can hear the clock ticking on the wall. Finally, one of them's like, that's it, I'm calling him. And um, so he picks up the phone and he's looking at us, he's making eye contact with us. So we're like trying to read his every twitch of his eyes, right? Like, And he's like, you found him. And um, I remember him giving us the thumbs up and then he mouths, he's alive. Elder Wyrick was alive. It's impossible to put into words the way the missionaries felt hearing this news, but they were definitely filled with gratitude and shock. No one had expected to find him alive, and no one can begin to explain how he survived the fall. What we do know is the rescuers were able to follow the trail of blood to where Matt lay semi-conscious. He survived partially because he crawled 30 feet after landing and lay at an angle on a rock where his head was below his body, keeping the blood flow steady to his brain. The weather that night was unusually warm. It was the perfect temperature to help keep Elder Wyrick's brain from swelling while not freezing him to death. The fact that Elder Wyrick was alive was nothing short of a miracle. But now the missionaries wondered what was his outlook. Had he broken every bone in his body? Would he continue to survive the coming days? And if he did, 
Would he be brain damaged to the point where he wouldn't be able to function at all? Here's what happened in Matthew Weirich's own words. They expected when they lifelighted me in and put me in the hospital that everything was going to be shattered, broken, that I would have every type of thing. So they put me through a CAT scan and MRIs only to find out that there was no bones broken other than I had a hairline fracture above my right orbital where I had hit the ground with my head. Elder Weirich was immediately put into an induced coma. However, within 24 hours, his vitals were so good that the doctors decided to bring him out of the coma. Still, he wasn't responding in any way. If he didn't show any sign of response, the doctors had decided they would need to perform a procedure where they would drill into his skull to relieve the pressure. They found out my name, Matthew Weirich, um, so they were calling me Matt, 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 or Matthew, Matthew, Matthew. The mission president came to the hospital and they were telling him what would happen. And he was like, well, that's your problem. For these past 18, 19 months that he's been out here, he's only been known as elder. You know, so he goes and he says, elder, wake up. You slept in. You got to study your scriptures. And when that happened, they saw a flinch um, on my finger. They said, oh, elder, if you can hear us, wiggle your finger. I did make a small movement, and they're like, amazing. We don't have to do surgery. He's going to get out of it. When my parents came in, at first, I didn't recognize them, and I was a little confused. And then my mom hugged me. (laughs) And when that happened, it clicked with me and made me realize and understand that my parents were there and everything was fine. Elder Wyrick continued to improve over the next few days. The doctors all agreed every aspect of this survival story defied reason. The head neurosurgeon, one of the best in Australia, says, you know what, this is beyond medical science. I cannot describe medically what he is able to do and his progression. It's what I would deem as a medical miracle. No one could understand how quickly I progressed. Elder Wyrick became an overnight sensation He was on 60 Minutes Australia, and for four to five days, he was the cover story everywhere you went in Australia, dubbed the Miracle Man of Bundanoon. Chris Peterson still can't believe it. For him to fall and then like not break a bone, I heard his body hit and echo through the valley. I heard the trees break, and everybody was just very stunned that he lived. What what became so much more stunning was to find out his condition after the fact. It was truly unbelievable. But the miracles didn't stop there. Within a month, Elder Wyrick returned home. Having been released from his mission, Elder Wyrick visited a neurologist in the United States who said Matthew's brain looked completely normal. When the doctor received the original CAT scan images taken shortly after the fall and compared them to these new perfect scans, his shock couldn't be contained. He simply described it as medically impossible. And it was. Yet it wasn't. Because with God, all things are possible. And because of this one miracle, many lives have been touched. Many people's faith and hope have increased. The missionaries saw hearts and doors open as more people wanted to learn and talk of God. And Matthew himself has been changed forever. I felt invincible. 
I felt like nothing could touch me, nothing could hurt me, that I was going to be anything and everything that I wanted to be. And so it leveled me back to being humble and understanding like how without Heavenly Father, nothing in this life is possible. No matter what, we're not in control. We have to live each day like tomorrow could be our last. For over a year, he worked tirelessly to regain his strength and coordination, until eventually he was able to return to pole vaulting at Brigham Young University. I was not going to have someone tell me that I would not be able to compete again. Competition was my life. So I worked my tail off. I pushed myself to the limit every time. And finally, they gave me clearance to be able to pole vault again. I was able to go to nationals and become an All-American and yeah. When we asked Matthew why he thinks miracles take place, this was his response. From what I was told... Of the whole search and rescue of everything they did there, I was the only person that they had found alive. They say, you know, this is always just a death mission. We go and try to find a body so that way we can just drag it out. And for me to not have any ill repercussions at this moment anymore is beyond miraculous. Miracles do happen. How I landed, how everything happened, how it transposed, I don't know. I just know that I fell, but beyond that, I don't know how it happened. Nor will I ever try to make an assumption of how it happened. Through God's mercy and His plan, I am alive and safe. Miracles bring us to Christ. I did have to go through some troubling and hard times, but That's what it's for. That's what miracles happen, is to be able to increase people's faith and help them see that there is a plan and there is a way to find happiness in this life amidst all the pains and troubles and sorrows. Wow, that is such a powerful story, Emily. We really remember this story while it was happening Chris Peterson is our sister-in-law's stepbrother. And back in 2004, I remember her calling us on the phone and saying, pray for my brother because his companion just fell off a cliff. And we both were praying, but there was no chance that he was alive. Yeah, we were praying for Chris because we thought this poor guy is going to be so traumatized. He just got out on his mission and his companion just died a horrible death. So that was the perspective we were coming from where we were just praying for Chris Peterson and hoping that he was going to be able to make it through this really traumatic experience. And I remember finding out the next day that Matt Wyrick was alive and just being completely shocked. I know. It just blew all of our minds. And here we didn't even know Matt Wyrick, but it was such an incredible thing to think that he had survived that fall. And then we kind of followed this story as it progressed, and the whole thing was just so miraculous. It was incredible. Anyway, so we were very excited to share this story with others because... I don't think that Matt Wyrick realizes how much he has impacted our lives without even ever meeting us. It's just one of those stories that proves to you that God can do anything, that he can perform miracles and he's in control and there's nothing that he can't do. Yeah. And he can turn a horrible situation into a a huge blessing to so many people. 
And as Matt said, it truly brings people to Christ when these miracles take place. And that's one of the things that I'm excited to share as we go forward with this podcast is how these miracles really do bring people to Christ. And we're hoping that's what this podcast will do as we share these amazing stories that people have experienced to show how good God is. I hope our listeners feel as impacted by that story as I did. We have many other stories that we cannot wait to share with you that are also super awesome and crazy and interesting. And we hope you love them. You will. Thank you for joining us. If you have a miracle to share, contact us at themiraclefiles.com or find us on Facebook. We'll post new episodes on the first day of each month. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it and leave us a review. Join us next time as we discover more of God's miracles. And don't forget to look for His light in your own lives. If you'd like to support us on Patreon so we can produce more episodes like this, go to patreon.com forward slash The Miracle Files. You'll get exclusive access to photos, videos, articles, and other content you won't find anywhere else. We'll also have live chats and we'd love to interact with you there. Thank you so much for your support.